I know y'all see Patrick is out. And uh, God has given me this opportunity to, to preach his word, to bring his word to you. And uh, focus on what the scripture says, what God has revealed to us in these passages in Ephesians. So if you would turn to the book of Ephesians. And just comprehend what God is saying to us or what he has revealed to us. You know, I was enjoying the praise and worship and uh, kind of lost my voice there. <laughs> praising God, praising him for who he is and what he has done for us. He's worthy to be praised, isn't he? And in Matt's prayer, he talked about us being children of God. That is a great privilege that God would call us his children. And the book of Ephesians here, I mean, it is rich with all that God has done for us, our position in Christ. I mean, even just studying it, it just lifted me so high that I could just praise God and praise him and praise him. So we're going to read, I'm going to start from verse 3 and read all the way through verses, through verse 14. We're only going to cover 3 through 6a, but these verses are together, they're a group. And when Paul starts, he just continues on and on. This isn't a, a doxology, it is a praise to God for what he has done. And I'm going to read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And by the way, I'm reading from um, uh, NASB version. Just, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth. 
In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Long sentence here. In the Greek, it is one long sentence. Now here, we have some periods in between, but the period really doesn't come until at the end. So he strings along uh, a number of phrases and clauses. The book of Ephesians. Let me see if I can sort of introduce the book. The book could be separated in two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 deals mainly with doctrine. It talks about who you are in Christ and your resources. And chapters 4 through 6 talks about how you should behave, how you should live, your practice. And, and in chapters 1 through 3, of course, and we're going to get to this, Paul talks about God having chosen us before the foundation of the world, before anything he created. He chose us. And we're going to look at adoption here. And you can look at it this way. We're going to talk about, first, God is worthy to be praised because of him having blessed us because he chose us to be adopted sons. That is what we see in verses 3 through 6a. But then there are some other stuff after this. It talks about what Christ has done. Christ redeemed us with his blood. He's the focus there. And the Bible says, God made known to us the mystery of his will. And he did it with a view to the end times when everything is summed up in Christ. In other words, when Christ comes back, he reigns, he rules on earth for a thousand years. And that leads on into the eternal kingdom. So that is what we see in verse 10. And then he says, we have an, an inheritance. We have an inheritance awaiting us. All that God has, all that Christ has, we will inherit. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8 says. And we have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a down payment of that. What is what? what's to come in the future in verse 14. And so Paul comes after that and he prays that he wrote the letter to the Ephesians 
that they would grasp this after he proclaims this or after he informs them of this. He prays that they would comprehend all that they have in Christ, the whole plan of God for believers. And he talks about the church being the fullness of, of uh, Christ. See, the church today is where God does his work. The church, you and I as believers, we represent Christ here on earth. Christ is no longer here. We are his representatives. And then Paul goes in chapter 2. He looks at us in the present and he says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, but God made you alive. He made you alive and seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. So he goes on to talk about that, and he talks about how we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and he talks about the church collectively being a dwelling of God in the Spirit and how we're being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. The end of chapter 2 here. And then in chapter 3, Paul talks about how God had made him a minister, a servant of the message. Verse 7 of chapter 3, of which I was made a minister. He said, it was the grace of God. Paul never thought he deserved any of it. He always saw himself as unworthy. It was the grace of God. So Paul talks about himself being made a minister to the Gentiles. And then he comes again and he prays. This time in chapter 3, toward the end of chapter 3, he prays for power for the uh, Ephesians. He prays that God will grant to them according to the riches of of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner man. So he prays for this. And then we get into the practical in chapter 4 where he talks about now that you understand who you are, here's how you live in chapter 4. We're to walk in unity, it says. We're to serve using our spiritual gifts. We're to no longer walk as we walk when we were unbelievers. He says no longer walk as the Gentiles or other Gentiles walk. And then he says, he goes on to say that we're to walk in love. We're to be imitators of Christ. We're to walk in wisdom. And then he says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. And then being filled with the Spirit, we are to submit to each other. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives submit to their husbands. Children obey their parents. Slaves obey, obey masters. Masters treat their servants right, their slaves right. And then at the In chapter 6, he talks about the warfare. 
putting on the whole armor of God so you'll be able to stand. And then he prays at the end of that. So that is the book of Ephesians. But before all of that, in Ephesians chapter 1, We deal with, well, let's look at verse 3. Let's read it, or I'll read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul starts this off with praise. The word blessed here comes from the Greek word eulogeo. It means to, uh, to declare one's goodness. It's a word that comes from the word, our word, eulogy. You know, in a, when you go to a funeral, you know, you speak well of somebody. This is a declaration of praise to God here, to speak well of God. So the NIV translates verse 3 as praise rather than blessed. So that's a better word for that. So Paul is praising God. And you see in the, in the Bible where God is praised for who he is and what he has done. And I'm going to take you to some passages. And we're going to go through some passages real fast. So in Genesis chapter 14, you turn to Genesis chapter 14. We see Melchizedek chapter 14, um, starting from verse 18. We see Melchizedek praise God. And he praises God for God delivering Abraham after Abraham goes and rescues Lot back from being in captivity. And look at what he says, uh, verse 18 of chapter 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high possessor of heaven and earth. And here we go. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So we see Melchizedek blessing God for God's deliverance of Abraham. Let's look at Exodus 18. I mean, yeah, Exodus 18. And we see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, how he rejoiced over God. Chapter 18, verse 8. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the land, from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Then he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. So we see Jethro rejoicing and blessing God. And let's look at some of the Psalms, Psalm 41. Just showing you that God is blessed throughout the scriptures. Psalm 41, 
toward the end. Verse 13. The psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Can you agree with that? <laughs> Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to, to everlasting. Amen, amen. It is so, it is so. And we're familiar with this one probably in Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. I won't read all of it, but you see the psalmist blessing the Lord. And even in the next song, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. Look at God, our God, who is to be blessed. Let's look in the New Testament. Let's look at the gospel. Let's look at Mark. Chapter 14. And verse 61. This is Jesus. When they're having his trial. And he's brought before the religious leaders. Look at what the high priest says. Verse 60, starting from verse 60. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ? Listen to this the son of the blessed one. The son of the blessed one. So even the high priest called God the blessed one. Let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. See, this is God himself revealing that God is to be praised. 125. And Paul talks about how, um, how when we knew God, we did not worship him as God. Let's look at, let's start from verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be, dis be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the, cre the creature rather than the creator, again, who is blessed forever. Amen. He is blessed. And let's look 
at the last book of the Bible, Revelations chapter 5. Just showing you that God is to be praised or he's to be blessed. Chapter 5, verse 13. We see in heaven. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So God is to be blessed. He is to be praised. So turn back to Ephesians. So Paul begins this with praise to God. But he gives reason for praising him in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, who has blessed us? Now, God is to be praised. He's to be uh, um spoken well of. But when you see the term blessed, when, it, uh, when God turns it to us, it means that God gives us his goodness, okay? His good deeds to us. So we, because we can't really bless God, okay? Uh, we are unworthy of that, okay? And God doesn't need that. Okay, God all by himself is worthy of that. But Paul says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, what in the world is that? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? The word behind spiritual in verse 3, is a Greek word that, mean, that, uh, that is stated uh, pneumaticus. Um, when you look at it in the Bible, it always refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. So the uh, focus here is on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit provides. When it says spiritual, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 19. Philippians is the next book over. Verse 19. Paul says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ. What the Spirit provides the provision of Christ. And then look, let's look at 2 Peter. Now 2 Peter says God has granted to us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life 
and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God has granted us. Here's what I'm trying to say. God has granted us everything we need to live the Christian life. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Like Colossians says, we have been made complete in him. Christ makes us complete. So we have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. The Holy Spirit produces in us all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we receive those as we walk in the Spirit. That is why we are commanded to walk in the Spirit, so that we won't fulfill the desires of our flesh. So God has granted us, and in 2 Peter here, when it says he's granted you everything that pertains to life and godliness, that is what he's talking about. Uh, everything that pertains to the new life that you have and godliness, meaning he's given you everything so you can obey him. So every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places he says, so turn back to Ephesians. And notice, he says, where are these spiritual blessings? There are, there are spiritual blessings. In other words, they are of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? He also describes them as being in heavenly places. Now, what is that, heavenly places? It includes heaven, of course, but it also goes further than that. It includes the supernatural realm of God, wherever God operates, in the heavenly places, wherever God, wherever the supernatural is. Wherever God's divine operation is, in the heavenly places, God is there. As you study the book of Ephesians, God is there. Christ is there. We're going to be there. Of course, that includes heaven, but it is in the supernatural. So he further describes these spiritual blessings as being in heavenly places. And we receive them when we walk in the Spirit. We have them. Every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And he says, further they are in Christ. In Christ. Now the Bible speaks of this often, and Paul in particular, about us being in Christ. Christ in us and we're in Christ, this union we have with Christ. Now, he's speaking specifically about us being in Christ here. In other words, when we, when God gave us new life, we share this life, this eternal life, this divine life, all of us. That is what we all have. We possess that. Like Jesus says in John 
chapter 17. I have given them eternal life that they may know thee, the only true and living God. So God has given us eternal life. So what we all share, every believer, everywhere, in every place, we share this same eternal life. We have that life abiding in us right now. And we will possess it fully when we're in his presence. But we have that life right now in Christ. So this, this is how we are blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in Christ, in our union with Christ. And, and here's the reason God blesses us this way. He blesses us with every spiritual blessings because he chose us. Look at what verse 4 says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I know some people have a problem with election, the doctrine of election and being chosen. That's all that means, that God has chosen you. But Paul speaks about it. Peter speaks about it. Jesus spoke about the elect. Let's look at some passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Yes, we are chosen by God. Verse 5, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, knowing, brethren, I'm in verse 5 of chapter 1, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Second Timothy. Chapter 2, again Paul says in verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul say, I suffer to take the gospel to those who are chosen. Let's look at 1 Peter. Peter gets in on this. Verse 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Hmm. Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you over and over again. Let's turn back to Romans. Chapter 8. In verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's chosen. Who's going to bring a, God, a charge against God's elect? Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, when he speaks of the great tribulation. In verse 22 of chapter 24, unless those days had been shortened, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So over and over again, turn back to Ephesians, we see that God has chosen some people to be saved. Now, we don't know who they are, so we are commanded to go out and proclaim the gospel. And those who respond are the elect. They are the chosen. I don't know who they are. But Here's what else he says in verse 4. He chose us in him. Going back to what he said at the end of verse 3. In Christ. Now he chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, before he created the heavens and the earth, the universe, he chose us. In Christ. The Bible sees us as being in Christ, even before the foundation of the world. The plan of God was to, that he was going to select a group of people. He identified them. They were placed in Christ even back then, in the mind of God. We are in an inseparable union with Christ. We're in him. God had determined that there was a group of people that he was going to save and bring to glory. This plan 
was before the foundation of the world. Before you were even, before you existed, before anything existed. So guess what? You had no influence in that. I mean, nobody else had a say-so in that. That is why the Bible teaches that it's according to his will. He's the one who chose us. He didn't have any outside influences. He didn't look down, the, down in history or down in the, in the future and see who would be saved. He didn't do that. He chose. He himself chose. And to me, that just fits with God being sovereign. I mean, he does what he wants. He's God. He's supreme. He's the one who's worthy to be praised. He is the blessed one. So he's not doing anything different here. So we're in him. Our redemption was in him. Or I should say, we were in him. Listen to this. When Christ died, we died. When he was raised, we were raised. Every act of redemption was accomplished with us being in Christ. We were chosen in him. We died his death. We died with him. Matter of fact, let's look at some passages. Romans, well, let's look at uh, Ephesians first. In chapter 2, verse 6, we're in him. Verse, let's start from verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. We are in him, an inseparable union with him. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 6. Turn back to find Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with him, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
Colossians chapter 2. After Philippians, and Philippians is after Ephesians. Let's start from verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We're talking about Christ. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We are in him. We were in him before the foundation of the world. That is how God sees it. God sees it. He considers us to have, to have lived his life and have died his death. So we are in union with Christ. Now, being chosen has to do with God adopting us as sons or as children of God. And I know many of us, or at least some of us, have adopted kids. Um, and I know you guys know that process and what all that entails. But before you can be adopted, the child has to be chosen. Verse 4, just as he chose us. But he chose us with a purpose, to be adopted sons and daughters. That is what this is about, from verses 3 to 6. He blessed us because he chose us to be adopted sons and daughters. And adoption is where you choose a child from another family. God chose us from a world of sinners to make us his children. And we can become his children in two ways. We can be adopted or we can be born into the family of God. This passage here speaks of adoption. Adoption means we're given his name, rights, title. Regeneration or being born again, we share his nature. As I said, we, we all have eternal life abiding in us. Peter calls it the divine nature. So two ways 
or um, these are two, uh, two symbols of our salvation. Two different aspects of the same salvation. Here we're focusing on adoption. And adoption looks back at choice. As I said, when, you, when a family goes and select, uh, a family goes and chooses a child, that's the first thing they do. But they choose the child to adopt the child. And they give that child all the rights of that family. And this is in the backdrop of Roman the Roman culture, and uh, I copied uh, an explanation of that, how that goes. Uh, it says, in order to understand adoption, one must understand the structure of the Roman family. The father has absolute pow power, patria potestas. That's, that is what that means, absolute power, over the members of his family so that he could even take the life of a member of his family. And that act would not be considered murder. With regard to property, he had full legal ownership of everything the family had and could dispose of it as he will. On the other hand, in the Greek family, the father did not have absolute power over his family, nor was, he, nor was he the legal owner of all the family's property. Under Roman law, the procedure of adoption had two steps. In the first step, the son had to be redeemed from the control of his natural father. This was done by a procedure whereby the father sold him as a slave three times to the adopter. The adopter would release him two times, and he would automatically again come under his father's control. With the third sale, the adoptee was freed from his natural father. Regarding the second step, since the natural father no longer had any authority over him, the adopter became the new father with absolute control over him. And he retained this control until the adoptee died or the adoptee freed him. The son was not responsible to his natural father, but only to his newly acquired father. The purpose of this adoption was so that the adoptee could take the, the possession of a natural son in order to control or continue, rather, the family line and maintain property ownership. This son became the patriarch potesta in the next generation. So the son was adopted so he can uh, inherit the estate of the father and become what it says, the uh, patriarch potesta, which means he has absolute power. So that is the background of this. So God chose us, and here's the thing, he chose us 
so that we could be heirs. Or rather, he chose us to be adopted sons so we can be heirs of all that God possesses. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter uh, 8, where he speaks again of this. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Let's start from verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received again, no, you have not received a spirit of a spirit leading, a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. We have been adopted. And that, that shows intimacy. Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. It shows that we have intimacy with God. And the Spirit testifies of that, verse 16, with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, heirs, want you to see that, heirs, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, heirs. We inherit what he inherits. We are in him. Let's look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse, starting from verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that, he might, that we, rather, might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, we see the intimacy there. But it speaks of adoption. So, turn back to Ephesians. So, Again, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ because God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be adopted sons or 
adopted children of God. That is what God has revealed through Paul here. And it's all before the foundation of the world. So nobody can boast. God, this is in God's plan. And then in verse, at the end of verse 4, in love, well, let me finish verse 4. He says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. Holy means to be set apart unto God, set apart from sin. We are different. Blameless has to do with no spot or no blemish. That is what God chose us that for. And in Christ, when we are presented before him, that is what we'll be. Now, we need to live toward that here and now, and that is our position in Christ. But we won't be that fully until we're in his presence. He says before him. And even in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about marriage, it says in verse 27, that he might present, talking about Christ, to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, without spot, without blemish. So that is, he looks toward the future that we would be holy and blameless before him. In other words, in his presence. And then he says in verse 5, or the end of verse uh, 4 into verse 5, mine reads, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. We've already talked about this already, so let me just explain what predestined means. It means to be marked out beforehand. God marked us out. And this is just another way to speak of being elected, being chosen. And some passages I want to turn to, Acts. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, now Paul is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorying. Glorifying, rather, the word of the Lord. And listen to this. As many as has been appointed, notice, in other words, they were marked out, they were appointed to eternal life. They are the ones that believe. Only those who have been chosen, those who have been predestined, those who have been marked out, those were the ones that believe those who God has chosen will come 
They were marked out for that. And listen to what God says in uh, when Paul, when he uh, commanded Paul to take the gospel to Corinth. Look at Acts chapter 18. Look at what he says. Acts chapter 18, verse, uh, verse 9. See, God knows what's going on. I mean, he has, he has planned it all. Even you, right now sitting here, this was all in God's plan. You were chosen. If you really are a genuine believer, not a coincidence. Verse 9 of chapter 18. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, he says. And listen to what he says. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. This, for I have many people in this city. Notice what God says. I have many people in this city. God knew who they were. He chose them. So turn back to Ephesians, and I'll begin to wrap it up. So he marked us out in verse 5 to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. It's all of God. He chose. He's sovereign. It was according to his will. And then in verse 6, goes back to verse 3 about praising God. Why did he do it? For the purpose of praise. He wanted to be praised for it. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. His grace. God is gracious. He wanted to put his grace on display. See, when the angels sinned, they were doomed. They didn't receive grace, but mankind did. Grace is God's unmerited favor, unearned, undeserved. God grants it. Even in Ephesians here, we know the verse, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is all God's grace. All of God. He's doing this. He wanted to be praised. And here 
in this section, he wanted to be praised for him choosing and him predestinating us to be adopted sons. He's wanted to put his grace on display. Now, we see other attributes of God on display in creation, his beauty, his power, his order, uh, his righteousness, his holiness. We see that in all of creation. I know sometimes me, I marvel at, I, I went to an aquarium, I mean, went to a place where they were showing fish and looking at all the different fish and just totally blown away with the colors of the different fish. Just blew me away in all the different species. This is God. And I thought about God and him creating. But God wanted to put his grace on display. And so, and we see it certainly in Christ's death when he's on the cross. That's God's grace for us, or toward us, because he sends his son. His son gives his life for us. God's grace, undeserving, unearned, no one merits it, but God is gracious. So Paul says to the Ephesians, praise God. Let me read again. Verse 3. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So, praise God for his grace. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer.